everybody and welcome back to episode number 15 of the Biff Rugby League podcast. It's been over a month or it's been about a month since we last brought you an, ep- uh, an episode and we'd like to apologise. We were due to do one last week but with the 40 degree temperatures like all across the country we between the three of us we thought it's going to be really uncomfortable to sit here record and not give you the quality that you deserved so we sat down as a team and we said look we've struggled the last few months to get content out and give you what you want to listen to and what you want to watch and we've decided that over the next 18 weeks leading up until the week after the world cup final we will give you 10 podcasts every two weeks and then at the and then week 17 and 18 you'll get podcasts so 10 podcasts over 18 weeks whether it be three of us two of us it will never be just one of us but we'll make sure that you get 10 podcasts over 18 weeks in a form of order we're hoping to be every two weeks but it might change depending on if people are available but we make sure we get those done for you um so massive apologies from us about the lack of communication and and stuff like that but we've just had a lot on and a lot to do but now that that's all over and done with how have we both been toby are you still with your partner that's the key question (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what i moved the recording time from eight till nine so i could get some extra time with them um so yeah it's four good weeks um and uh yeah thank i mean thanks for remembering brad uh, other than that it's uh it's nice to be back isn't it um what really excites me about having this schedule is that in 10 podcast time we'll be celebrating wales's first ever rugby league world cup win. <laughs> <laughs> i mean with the, with the squad that you've got at the minute i wouldn't i wouldn't knock it too much i mean you have just lost regan grace to rugby union and i'll, I'll speak to you about that in a bit because we're going to talk about eligibility and players playing for stuff in, in countries later on but obviously the Wales squad is does look better every time a World Cup comes around and you're just kind of hoping that some of them NRL lads are going to be available for you I suppose. Uh, Robin how, how's your month been? I know we spoke last week but how's your month been? Yeah good thanks I mean whilst the Biff took a break we certainly didn't. I, um, I, I went to watch the uh, women's nines on Sunday um, and it was it was mint actually. I'm a little bit disappointed to see that um, a bigger deal hasn't been made of it. Like, I kind of mm. got home afterwards and sort of wanted to just look online and see what had been written about it and, and didn't see much. And like the um, the Hour League app had, had nothing about it on there. Um, tickets were only a fiver um, and you got nine games worth of action. And they were great games. And I'm not just biased because York did really well. There was nine really entertaining games. And it's a really good format, actually, because... I took I took my partner with me and she's she's been to a few games now but she's not like a, a die-hard fan like we are mm. but the nines format really suits people that don't really understand what's going on because it's short and snappy the games are over quickly if you get a game that's a bit of a dead rubber which there was there was one or two they're over like nice and quickly it doesn't get drawn out for too long the teams are changing up you start to recognize players from early on in the day and it was just like a good atmosphere. Something about the women's game is it feels a lot more wholesome, a lot night like Jen, you don't really get any of the crowd sort of like jeering or booing. It was all really positive. And I, I actually had a really good time and I'll definitely be looking out for that fixture coming up in the future. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the teams that weren't involved in the South have, have been speaking about it and it would have been nice to see a few more of them involved. Obviously, I think Cardiff, did Cardiff get to the finals or did they... No, the the kind of outsider team was um, Catalan Dragons, um, yeah. and it was I wasn't sure how they were going to go, and they they sort of in the first game 
Um, I think they were just a bit rusty, but they were so much better in the second, third, fourth games that they played. Yeah. They, they, they really improved as they went on and um, quite a quite good sign. I could overhear some people behind me talking about, sort of saying, oh, she's going to be playing in the World Cup. So I, I think France are going to have a, a real good go forward in the World Cup. So that was really interesting to see as well. Yeah, that's really good to see. Toby, with um, North Wales looking to push towards a championship spot next season, have you been to a, uh, many games? Have you, been, have you been able to get home and get to many games? Or even games closer to, to Derby, have you been able to go and see your team play? No, I'm, I've still got nothing on the season in terms of live games. It, it's abysmal, but it's just so difficult. I mean, you know, if you consider that I've got to rely on Sunday trains to get up to Sheffield probably is the best option I've got. It's it's very difficult. Uh, I mean, I've been following the Crusader season quite closely and I got really frustrated with them after they lost to Keithley, who were clearly the best team in that league. Yeah. And they went on a two or three game losing run and it's a bit like the resilience that won't make them stay in the championship should they get there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still keeping close tabs on a lot of stuff. I think my favourite event of the year is always Origin Two, and that was the that's the one game which I had like as a non-negotiable this year. And I know, I know you're shaking your hand, but that's the one game. Because it being a Sunday, that's the one game where it's uh, that, that for me is like the pinnacle of rugby league until we get yeah. to all the finals. Um, yeah, hundred percent. That's the one thing. That's the one thing that really. I think since we last spoke, is I've really been is the only thing I've really been able to commit to. But obviously, I've seen everything else going on around it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll talk Origin later on because I want to talk NRL bunker issues, players, like I said, back to eligibility, which I think we spoke about last episode as well. And obviously, myself being a Queensland fan, I'm in the best of moods. And I love Ben Hunt. He's the best player in the world. But um, just jumping back onto the Women's Rugby League point, Robin, is um, there is now an England Knights performance squad. I don't know if you two have seen that come out this week. Yeah. Um, it'll be led by Lois Forsell, who's obviously, who has earned 18 caps for England women in the past. Um, and the squad is uh, Emily Bagley, Jasmine Bell, Chloe Billington, Amelia Brown, Danielle Bush, Mary Coleman, Jasmine Cudjo, Anna Davis, Becky Grady, Caitlin Hilton, Emma Kershaw, Orlan McCallion, Katie Mottishead, Lacey Owen, Ebony Partington, uh, Sinead Peach, Tamsin Renouf, Erin Stott and Bella Sykes. Those girls, to be knowing that they're in a development squad ready for the World Cup, they're going to be the girls that Craig Richards will call on if injuries occur to those players in the 24-man, 24-woman squad for the World Cup currently. This is this is huge, isn't it? Because we know that the England Knights programme is extremely important for development in the men's game. Do you think this is going to help develop the women's game as much as the, the men's Knights system has? Yeah, you'd like to think so. Um, getting, them, getting them together and, and um, sort of like breaking down those like inter-club barriers is only going to help them gel and hit form as soon as possible when they reach the World Cup. And I, I'd like I'd, I'd like to give York a pat on the back. They've got five players in there, so hopefully you'll all get to enjoy watching um, these these York girls that know each other and play well together. I was I was kind of shocked that um, Tara Stanley didn't get in because she played great in the nines, and I've watched her a few times. I don't know if... Um, I don't know if she's ruled herself out. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, maybe a, maybe a missed opportunity there because she's a great fullback. Uh, for some reason, I think that she was in the in the in the performance squad in the elite performance squad that was named for the for the mid season test. So I think 
that's any any names that were in the elite performance squad may not have been mentioned in the Knights squad. Um, obviously, we are due World Cup training squads very very soon. I think Mal Meninga was about to come out and release his the other last week before Victor Addy had, um, sort of went. No, I don't want to play for Australia, and it looks like Peter Valandis is going to be the the guy to pick that Australia team, and we'll get into that again later on, but. Yeah, the the name the girls that have been named for that, it's absolutely huge for them, and a massive congratulations to those involved. Toby, you, would you like to see the international stage involve more nights fixtures for both, obviously, the men and women's system? Oh yeah, um, and it's one of those where we've got such a limited number of nations, um, and we've also got such a wide gap between top four, five, and everything below. I mean, I'm thinking there you've got what, Australia, New Zealand, Tonga, England, and then you're probably looking at maybe Fiji are competitive. Yeah. And below that, it isn't. Um, and yeah, so an England Knights get England Knights is a more competitive um, international test for um, your sort of, I won't say friendly, but they're not going to be friendly, are they? But you're sort of yeah, no, I get what you mean. cups and your mid-season tests. Yeah. Uh, four Wales of Scotland, Jamaica, Greece, um, and Cook Islands, etc. Um, so yeah, I think there's absolutely a place for them because it's a, because there's such a depth of talent in like England that ne- would never get to play internationally if there's not for England Knights. But also, we're a lot better than players who have got a Welsh grandmother who get to play <laughs> for Wales. Yeah, so, much, so yeah, I think they're I think they're really key to the sort of development of English talent but also to that you know it, if we're going to grow this game it's going to be done internationally it's why it's how rugby union succeeded so well is you know there's so many fans who only care who only used to care about rugby union uh during the six nations the autumn internationals and are now now we've got down to their local club and are now you know that kind of thing yeah 100%. and that's what England likes as a way of putting more international fixtures on so Absolutely, it's necessary, I think. Yeah, definitely. With the Italy, Ireland, Wales and Scotland, I think are in a, like a European sort of competition between them in the women's game. I know Italy and Ireland played a while ago and Ireland will be playing Wales again soon. Um, do you think the Knights could go into that system? And Having the England squad in there, we know. You saw the way they dismantled Wales and how comfortable that victory was. If the Knights team was in that European championship, do you think that would improve the quality of rugby league and boost the performance of players for other countries as well? I don't, I don't know which either of you two want to answer that. I mean, I'll go first and let Robin follow on. Um, but it's, it's interesting, wasn't it? Because it depends what you're playing for, really. If England Knights win a competition with all the other nations in Europe and the winner of that competition is supposed to go to the World Cup where England are already there, then yeah. all of a sudden you've got this thing where you've gone a second place and then getting automatic World Cup qualifications and you get sort of a bit... You know, you couldn't even beat that that England Knights team. Why couldn't you go through? Yeah. But it's that you know, if there's not if the if the competition is just for um, you know sort of test match purposes, or it's its own competition, it's a European Cup, it's a something like this. Which I think, especially the women, they'd be really proud to win a European Cup. Um, yeah. They'd be really proud to 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 win uh, to win against the best teams from a region, to win against the best teams in the world, to win invitationals, things like this. Um, I think that it, you know, that it holds its place there. It just can't be used. You've got to make sure that you keep it away from anything that could qualify, which England need to 
playing to be able to play in the World Cup and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's that. I get you. I, I totally understand where you're coming from, Robin. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the 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 question I would ask is if if we're willing to put forward an England Knights team to play these sort of like second tier nations, then is, on the flip side of that, would we be willing to put our England first team up against an Australia second team? Because I don't think we would. I don't think we would like that. So I think we've got to be careful how how and where we use the Knights because um, it's got to work both ways. And I could see how it would be frustrating for um, a, a, one of the top second tier teams to, like Toby says, like lose a competition on this like England side that's like been crammed in there. So yeah. I mean, you've got to be careful how you use it. But in principle... Getting, getting out, like getting, making use of the depth of talent that we've now got in the in the women's game is a good idea. So I I, I can see pros and cons for both sides. Yeah, I totally. The agree. only other point it is just that I want to see a dead set selection criteria for the England Knights established over okay. established over time. It's just a little bit confusing for me sometimes where you see the England Knights one, the most recent one for the men's. And it's like some of its uncapped players who have just come through the England Youth Academy. I know there's like Oliver Parkinson who's been on the scene for five years, yeah, and yeah. then and then didn't got to the fringe of the England squad and dropped off a little bit. Um, so it's that kind of like, if you just is it an age limit? Is it just a never England cap before, or is it just literally an England second thirteen? I don't particularly have a problem which way it's done, but if it's going to be if you're going to say it's an England second thirteen then I want to see that 31-year-old who's better than the kids in it. And if you're going to say it's a kids-only one, then I don't want to see anyone older in it. It's that kind of... I don't yeah. really mind how it's used. It's just I want it to be... I want there to be them to know its purpose. Yeah, no, yeah. That's yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing that we need to find out is how is it going to be used for Knights. So you look at the Knights squad and there was names... Uh, I think Sinead Peach and Tamsin Renouf were named in a tour of Papua New Guinea back in 2019 and those players have played at the England level, have played for England at maybe not quite at the highest level because they've not played at a World Cup, but they played in the last tour that they did. Should they then be able to drop back down into the Knights because they're of a certain age or or however you may you, you see it? But it's going to be really interesting to see where we go and how this Knights performance squad is used and how similar it is to how the men's Knights performance squad is used. We're going to move on to a little bit of a controversial topic over in Australia now. Um, not, I think it's controversial, not because of what Manly are doing as a club, but I think that the seven players that we're going to name have really, I think, made idiots of themselves in, in how we can understand why they're sort of... We can kind of understand why they're saying it, but it's not right what they're saying. Does that make sense? Um yeah. So those, I think I should explain the story before yeah. we sort of go into it. So seven players from the NRL man, team, Manly Sea Eagles, have boycotted a championship match this week in protest at being made to wear an exclusiveness jersey, triggering criticisms from the club's first openly gay player. Um, Des Hasler, the head coach of Manly, said the players were opposed to wearing the pride jersey on religious and cultural grounds and would not play the home match against Sydney Roosters on Thursday. Uh, the players will not play on Thursday and we accept their decision, an emotional Hasler told reporters. These young men are strong in their belief and their convictions and we will give them the space and the support they require. 
Manly announced on Monday the team would wear the jersey which has rainbow bands as a symbol of inclusiveness. Uh, former Manly great Ian Roberts, the first professional rugby league player to come out as gay, said the player's opposition to the jersey was sad and uncomfortable. I promise you every young kid on the northern beaches of Sydney who is dealing with their sexuality would have heard about this. Uh, Coach Hasler said Manly had mismanaged the well-intentioned jersey initiative by not consulting its players and had failed to adequate, adequately inform stakeholders inside and outside the club. Reading from a prepared statement, he apologised on the club's behalf both to the players and to the minority groups within the community who embraced the rainbow colours as a symbol of pride in who they are. The intent of the jersey was to support the advocacy and human rights pertaining to gender, race, culture, ability and LGBTQ movements. Sadly, the execution of what was intended to be an extremely important initiative was poor. There was little consultation or collaboration. Sadly, this poor mismanagement has caused significant confusion, discomfort and pain for many people. We have been adversely affected. We have adversely affected our playing group, a wonderful group of people, contribution of many different races and cultural backgrounds. We wish to sincerely apologise for the mistakes we have made. We also wish to apologise to minority groups within the community who embrace the rainbow colours as a symbol of pride. We wish to apologise for the LGBTQ community who embrace the rainbow colour for pride and advocacy and human rights issues. We accept your cultural beliefs and hope you can accept our apology. They also went on to apologise to the Australian Rugby League Commission, all the NRL and the other 15 clubs for creating negative news, shifting the spotlight from the launch of the Women in League round. We wish to apologise to our own playing group and staff for any confusion. Um... The players haven't been named on Sky Sports, so I'm going to go back to the BBC article. Local media identified the seven players as Josh Alloy, Josh Alloyer, Jason Saab, Christian Tupilotu, Josh Schuster, Hamawai Olukwatu, Tolokula and Toafofu Sipli. <laughs> Under league rules, players from the same team cannot wear different jerseys. What do you think of Hasler's comments? Because... It obviously, he has to come out and, and sort of back his group of players and understand, but it seems like he's blaming those above him for the decision that's been made this week and the sort of rushed idea of... Make, it's, it, to me, it seems like it's kind of rushed. I have no clue what they've got, why they're apologising, right? They, they shouldn't be apologising for saying, we as a club support the rights of LGBTQ plus people. No. Um, you know, we, we want to end the discrimination towards people who identify in that community. Um, oh, but we apologise because seven of our players uh, don't represent the club's values. When you build a club, you build, it, you build it on a value base. I mean, you look at some of the most successful teams in world football at the moment, and they all the players buy into philosophies and things like this. Yeah. The people in the club, the people high up in the club, who authorise that jersey clearly want their club's philosophy to be one of inclusivity, and this, and then they're apologising that seven players aren't don't fit that inclusive philosophy. Like for me, if I'm Des Hasler, I don't want to play those seven guys again because they're as um, as the quote from the the um, old player who I can't remember the name of, but you just mentioned said yeah. there's lots of people who are probably currently I discovering their sexual identity who have been let down by this move yeah 100%. Um, and i don't blame manly at all i i blame those players because i think that um you know if they if they i'm sure their personal beliefs and spiritual beliefs um are the set mean that they believe in peace and they believe in um respecting one another yeah 
um, and they believe in loving people. And this is, this you know, this stance here is against what is probably part of those beliefs, um, in my opinion. So I just don't think it's, I think that Manly shouldn't be apologising. I think they should be ripping up contracts, um, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a harsh opinion, but um, that's where I stand on it. And that's that. And the thing is, I'm not going to disagree because it is such a, it is a topic where people have their 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 sort of agreements and disagreements with everybody, and the way the players have come out and said it's against their religious and cultural beliefs. Uh, Keegan Hurst, who's of don't know, an, another openly gay rugby league player, previously of Wakefield, I believe, uh, he said, "I'd be interested to hear what." What and which religious and cultural beliefs stop you wearing a shirt with a rainbow on, but not one that promotes gambling, etc.? Um, he also said that it feels like it's just homophobia hiding behind religion and feels that Manly Sea Eagle players who boycotted their NRL game in protest at the club's pride jerseys are undermining what the sport stands for. Um, he also said, to, he also tweeted at, he also tweeted, hey, at Sea Eagles, I'd be honoured to wear your pride shirt as should all your players, shame on the ones who aren't. Robin, do you you have to, do you agree with what Keegan Hurst is saying? Do you think that if they're, if, what, what's wrong with the rainbow when they're happy going to be wearing points bet when a lot of, where, where's gambling and and sort of spending time yeah. in casinos is seen as a sin in those cultures? Yeah, and that's exactly what Keegan's trying to say is it's, it's homophobia hiding behind religion because... Hmm. They can quite easily use it to shield their homophobic beliefs and, and say that it's, it's part of their religious beliefs, which are protected, and they should be. Yeah. But like he says, they're picking and choosing. There's other, there's other beliefs that if they wanted, they could boycott, like say, gambling, drinking. They could boycott their fellow players mm. that unfortunately consistently commit dom domestic violence and other violent acts that is definitely not sanctioned in any religion, but they don't. They continue to play it, and a lot of them will stand alongside these people who have been convicted of serious crimes. So yeah. it's it's to it's totally wrong, and it's really sad, and it's really frustrating because I think as a sport in general, we are really inclusive, and we've got a diverse range of people, and we're all accepted. So it it's not it's really really annoyed me and you know we've the whole point of the of the rainbow jersey is it's symbolic you, you can't explain a message in 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 depth when it's just colors on a shirt it's yeah. symbolic but the reason why we use these symbols is to start a deeper conversation and right now the symbol has triggered this conversation where we've got players literally refusing to to play in that jersey which is like if if the West Tigers, if if can you imagine what would happen if Luke Brooks one week just said I don't want to play, mm. like it just it's unheard of. Yet we're we're like giving them the space that apparently they deserve. This is an opportunity for the NRL and the Seagulls and the um, Players Association to actually act upon what they claim yeah. they want to do, which is to stamp out homophobia and and ensure that they are want to be inclusive and but what all they're doing really is protecting the homophobic people they're undermining everything that they claim to stand for by endorsing a rainbow jersey so to me it's not about where 
the rainbow jersey. It's about how they respond to this response to the rainbow jersey. They've yeah. kicked, they've, they've triggered a response, and now it's up to you to prove what are your values and are you going to stick to them. So Toby might be right. They might need to rip up contracts. There might need to be some serious sanctions on these players. Maybe, maybe these players that don't really understand what they're talking about, because I don't, I personally don't believe any human being can agree with or can disagree with advocating rights for all people, and especially people who have been oppressed for centuries. Yeah. So maybe there's some education that needs, clearly there's some education that needs to happen. But I, I think it's, this is, if, we, if Manly apologises, if the NRL lets these players get away with it, they're undermining everything that they claim to stand for. So this is, it's really important that they stick their guns here because people are watching now and it's not about the jersey anymore. It's not about whether Manly plays in it or not. It's how, it's how they deal with this backlash. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Go on, Toby, quickly. Well, I've got two sort of points. That one is yeah. that I'm sure in every religion you can find a love a love thy neighbour quote or equivalent, yeah. which a player of the same culture could quite as easily say, "I'm going to wear the jersey because I love the people who stand next to me." Um, and the other thing I'd say is, look what happens when Israel Folau, um voiced these exact same opinions. He did it. He he actually voiced them. He didn't just stand down and stay quiet and let yeah. someone discover who it was through an insider. He, he voiced these opinions and the NRL wouldn't let him come back. Uh, yeah. Rugby Australia wouldn't let him play for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, Super League did. But in terms of, um, I think that the uh, NRL now um, slash Australian Rugby League, they've now got that thing where they said, hey, last time somebody did this, we never let him play for us. Last time somebody claimed, you know, not to support that cause, um, you know, we didn't let them play, so why are we going to let these players play again? Yeah, no, I, I totally get you. Um, two two things that I've just, as I've been doing a little bit more reading as you guys have been talking, for anyone who wants to get their hands on one of these jerseys, and they are awesome, I do really like the way they look, no chance. They've, they've sold out. Um, you're not going to be able to get one. Uh, the second thing is that uh, apparently now a group of lower graders who are asked to fill in for the original seven who dropped out have also knocked back the club to make their NRL debuts because they don't want to wear the rainbow jersey. That this is, that is this, like, this, just because this, you don't want right. to wear a rainbow on your shirt, that like, you don't have to support it. Just wear the shirt and play the game of rugby league. Like this is where I think the conversation of should rugby and politics and everything and all these things come together sort of pops up, pops its little head up again. But this isn't politics, is it? This is just this no. is people clearly being homophobic. Yeah, if there'd been a tsunami in the um, in the Pacific Islands, yeah, everyone would want to wear a shirt supporting the people who are now a lot worse off than the rest of society. Okay, it's a different type of. Um, it's a different type of um, loss that um, the LGBTQ community have when it comes to how they're treated within society. But it's still that thing where you're supporting people who have, who because of the way societies are, have less yeah. than you. Yeah. 
you know, it's it's it, on a principle. It's what a lot of those young players have probably said in interviews before. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and this it, is this there. is what the like this is what the flag is for. What one day, hopefully, not too far future, we won't ever need the pride flag again because it will just be normal to be whatever you are. So this is exactly what the pride flag is for. It's to it's to make it bring it to the attention of, of everybody, bring it into everyone's consciousness and expose those people that disagree. And what's just happened is we've exposed, it's clearly systemic within the player base of the NRL. And let's be honest, in, in the whole world, when, when young players at the start of their careers are knocking back an NRL debut over a rainbow, it's not even that garish. Like you say, it's a nice jersey. Yeah, it's really like nice. you could quite easily not even really notice it's like, a pride jersey. I know. I think one of us mentioned it a few weeks ago. It's definitely better than some of them Keithley kits that the Keithley have put out. Oh, like, yeah. and, but I'd still happily wear those Keithley kits. Do you know what I mean? If I was playing, if I was exactly. making my debut, I'd, I'd, I'd wear any kit. It wouldn't matter. The fact that kids think that they they aren't going to make the kids are refusing their NRL debut because they don't want to wear this shirt. It's barbaric. Um, many of the QC Eagles players have double standards after um, pointing out that Manly's major sponsor is a gambling company, PointsBet, while their home stadium, Four, Point, Four Pines Park, is named after an alcoholic brewing company. It's 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 awful. I think we, we're all in, in an agreement here. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then you look at something else that's happened in the NRL this week. Kevin Proctor has had his contract ripped up for sitting in a toilet on his phone and vaping. Yes, he's broken two clear NRL rules, but he's not a homophobic guy. He's not done anything racist. He's not done anything illegal. Yeah. Well, he has because he's vaped inside uh, inside a stadium, which is yeah. But nobody would but, no no but other what, person. He's had his contract. He's had his contract ripped up for that. Like you comparing it to these seven, arguably these seven pe- these seven lads and. The junior lads that haven't had their names put out there because they're not well-known people have done a worse thing by not playing this weekend or this this Thursday. Absolutely, and what 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 kind of a message is that really? I mean, a, a certain percent of the population are LGBTQ plus. Yeah. There is undoubtedly people within the NRL and obviously watching, but there will be players in the NRL that haven't haven't come out and this is the reason why and if this is how bold they're willing to be about how homophobic they are mm. imagine what they're like behind closed doors yeah it's just sad it's sad and like you say they're, they're so willing to get rid of kevin Potter for like next come on it's schoolboy stuff yeah it's if i did that at school i'd have got a slap around the wrist and i would have got on with the rest of my day yeah yeah but and that's where we go. That's our moral compass. That's that's wrong. But this is acceptable, and this is we'll apologise on behalf of these people and give them the yeah. space they need with no ramifications. Yeah, it's uh, it's odd, isn't it? That this is the way that you get. Whole KR have been fined. Whole KR club have been fined four thousand pound after homophobic chanting by their supporters. Yes, two thousand pound of that has been suspended. But the club are being the club are being punished for the actions of others, which which is which is you, if you're a fan of that club, you go actually why should my club spend money because I'm an idiot. The club here should be looking and finding the players that have done the, the fans that have done this and ban them for life. 
the same way Manly should say, you won't ever play for this club again. The NRL moral compass seems to be way off compared to the Super League one, but the NRL players that do get banned for really horrible things do end up coming and playing over here. Do you think it's... Do you think the sport as a whole does have a, a like a, a moral issue? Like, what 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 can the powers that be do to stop the players being like this and to get horrible behaviour, whether it's homophobic, racist, misogynistic, physical abuse, mental, any sort, anything like that out of the game? What can they do? I mean. Ed- education is, is in a way, is the most loving solution because you're giving people a chance to change their ways. Um, but I also think that there's a need to be... like Every decision they make is symbolic. The whole Israel for a while, it was, it was a symbolic decision and, it, and it, whatever they chose was going to pave the way for, for mm. the future. Luckily, we can, like kind of, the, or the NRL and Ruby Australia can sort of lie back on that and say, that was our stance then. It's still our stance now, and hopefully they continue to do that. Yeah. But obviously, we saw the Super League took him on board, and and uh, you could argue that undermines the, the the game as a whole. Yeah. Um. But then everyone deserves a second chance. I I don't know. It's it's a problem within society, and and I hate the phrase that politics and sports shouldn't mix because these people have a platform. These people are role models. And especially to young kids, they're role models. And that means that it's even more important that they are considerate and, and fair to others. Yeah. And it's really, their, their opinions carry a lot of weight in our society. And so they should be under more scrutiny. And politics and sport, it, they, it's everywhere. You, politics and sport, you know, countries play countries. And we argue about who's eligible for countries. It's all politics. You can't, you can't, Use that as an as an excuse to let old old views continue. Yeah, no, that's I totally agree. Go on, Toby. Last point before we before we move on. Well, I think it's um, I think Australia and England two very it's two different issues to be honest. Um, Australia actually, the more the more I've been a fan of the NRL, the more concerning things come out of Australia. Um, just you know, as in because I've spent more time paying paid more attention to Australia. You ever watch one of like the debate shows they have on the NRL? Yeah. Um, there's some things, there's some hills, there's some very strange hills that they get very stuck on. Um, if you listen a lot of the time, Buzz, uh, is it Buzz Rothfield, the journalist? Yeah. Oh, he's he'll, so annoying. Oh, but sometimes he'll say something like, um, "Oh, maybe we, you know, maybe we should have promotion relegation. Maybe we should have more teams. Something like this. Something quite basic and obvious. Yeah. And and they'll shoot him down on points of like we haven't got enough talent. It's like no, all the talent's just stored in Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. It's like or you know, it's that kind of thing where they can't even recognise what's under their own nose. They don't want to change things. Um, so they're quite. They seem like they're quite a stubborn country in some ways. Um, Australia, and I think that it's something that's sort of it's more of a nation, a national issue for them. Yeah. Um, how that's come about in terms of England, I think you get the sort of like. Um, the people who don't go to the football or if they're football fans, like Hull KR, I bet some of their fans don't support Hull City no. and they support a team who they can't go to every week. So that kind of behaviour just crossed there. I know it's been a problem with Featherstone for years. Um, they have rowdy away supporters because they don't have a football team to support in Featherstone. Yeah. 
and Castleford has been the same of recent as well. Um, so I think that is more of a, that's more of a, we've got a presence in very small cities or very small towns yeah. um, that don't have another option um, for where that group can go and travel away every week and, or every other week and, you know, get that experience that you get, that a lot of people get through the football. Um, so I think that's sort of what's happening there, but. Yeah, no, I totally it's, get you. It's, it's something that we definitely need to have a look at and hopefully Manly and the NRL do the right thing to these seven players because, quite frankly, it doesn't matter how good how good they are or how much money they're on. If they've done something that they shouldn't have done in any in any aspect, we need them out of the game and we need to show them that this is not what we stand for in that sense. Uh, we're going to move on to something a little bit more light-hearted now and we're going to laugh at Warrington, uh, <laughs> something that everybody loves to do. You look at the Super League table, 20 games gone. I think it's seven more to go. Seven seven or eight more rounds to go. Um, they're only four points off safety and they have Huddersfield and Wigan up in the next two weeks. Could they be fighting Wakefield and Toulouse towards the end of the season? I mean, you're really looking at the game between Warrington and Toulouse on the 12th of August to look at that and go, okay, Imagine if Toulouse win that one and Warrington have lost their last two games. You could find that Toulouse are above the uh, above the Wolves with yeah with four games of the season left to go. Like imagine you sitting sitting that as a Warrington fan, you got to be looking at yeah we knew we had a rebuild, but it can't have been that bad at the start of the season. Yeah, and, and like how how satisfying would that be to see what Warrington go down? Personally, I'm against promotion relegation, and I think that clubs like Warrington, they think that they're safe. And actually, for the sport, it would be uh, quite bad to to lose Warrington. They're a, yeah. a financially stable club, and to see them relegated actually would, as a net result, would would cause a big cost to the to the sport in this mm. country. Yeah. And what do you know? I kind of part of me, the sort of like more radical side of me wants to see them go down, wants to see the the backlash and the uproar, because it will probably trigger a wave of people that say, let's stop promotion and relegation so this can't happen again. Unfortunately, yeah. But but they would have been happy to watch Wakefield or Toulouse go down. So I, I actually kind of now want it to happen, despite not being the best in the short run, because hopefully it would just... It would just you would just shake things up, wouldn't it? It would yeah. just force people to actually look at the, the systems that we've got in place and whether they're, whether they're right when we actually allow a team like that to go down. Yeah, yeah it's kind of in the same vein as when we had Leeds in the struggling in Super 8s, isn't it? Yeah, same, yeah. same uh, sort of system, isn't it? Same thing of like, oh, maybe the Super 8s aren't a good idea because we're going to lose Leeds. Yeah. Um, interestingly, though, I think Warrington aren't going, are not going to go down because ironically, they're so bad that every single game is about equally as hard for them. Yeah. Uh, so, as in, for them to beat St. Helens is as big a challenge as it is for them to beat Wakefield. But that means that every week they've got to be the same level of. Yeah. <laughs> of pre- they've got to try and be the same level of prepared. And they've turned over Catalans and they've turned over Hull in, in, in games where they've come prepared enough. But in the same vein, you know, when Wakefield and Toulouse, they're going to be only looking at the probably the teams only three, four places above them in terms of results they can pick up. Yeah, 
It's quite interesting where I think Warrington can stay safe because they're going to be able to beat better teams, but then they're going to probably get tonked by Wakefield again. <laughs> yeah, I think what makes it interesting is that Wakefield and Toulouse don't have to play each other. So they are literally battling now for, yeah. to not finish bottom and they're fighting for something. Warrington in their head, they may be like, actually, we're, we're probably safe because we know how bad Wakefield are, and we, but, but we're, maybe we're not quite safe of finishing 11th. I think there's still the danger of finishing 11th and finishing below Toulouse, but with the way Wakefield have played lately, yes, they ran Saints really, really close at the weekend, just losing by a point, but if they're not winning games, they're not winning games. Um we, we, just we, we want Toulouse to be safe, don't we? As, as a collective, we don't want to see Toulouse go down, do we? No, absolutely not. Two French teams, absolutely necessary to get a proper TV deal. It's absolutely necessary to French player development. Um, it's probably necessary to bring in um, better NRL stars over to improve the sound of the Super League um, because the South of France is a nice place to live, as proved with James Maloney, despite the fact that he came for not long enough. Um, but something I'd be interested to do is go through like a Warrington Wolves lineup from like their most recent game and just quickly go yes or no on to if these players should be stay at Warrington or leave at the end of the season. Hold on, I can do that. Yeah, twenty uh, second of July, Warrington twenty two, Hull KR thirty. Um, Josh Thewlis at fullback. Yes, stays uh, stays. Probably starts the rest of the next five years at fullback. Uh, Greg Minikin and Matty Ashton on the wings. Ashton stays. Uh, Mataltia and Wardle, who has just joined Wardle. Wardle probably stays because he's part of this like fast playing philosophy that they want, but I think Bonnie Mataltia's time's over. Uh, Ratchford in the halves alongside Williams. I'll let Robin take this. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, obviously Williams has got, he's got, um, got talent, but we don't, we don't see the best out of him, so. You know, at what point do we do we stop uh, valuing him off his past performance and start to to look at his recent form? And then Ratchford, he's been part of that Warrington side for as long as I can remember. He's he's dependable and he's a Super League player. But if you build him for the future, I yeah. don't know if it's time to move on. Uh, and then you had Mulhern and Harrison at prop, starting starting props. I think it's Rob Mulhern and is it James Harrison, the old Fed? The young Fed prop that they've just signed at the start of the season. He's they've come in. Uh, ben Curry, Oliver Holmes, and then uh, Jason and Daryl Clark are both in the in the starting pack as well. That's almost impossible, isn't it? Apart from this Harrison, who's probably a little bit too young to be starting for them right now. I don't think any of those players. Well, maybe Ollie Holmes isn't good enough for what Warrington should want. But other than that, if we say James Harrison quite... is young. He's he's twenty six. Yeah. Um, he's played. He's played quite a bit. He played at Batley, Fev, played a couple of games at Leeds on loan in 2020. Um, yeah, over 100, 103 games, but only played twice for Warrington so far. So, just new yeah. in his Warrington career. So you probably let him stay. And then substitutions of Joe Bullock, um, Danny Walker, Kyle Moore, and Thomas McKayley. I mean, a more we know he's leaving anyway because he's going to go to Witness next year, mm-hmm. I believe. McKaylee's yeah, literally but... just joined, so he won't be going anywhere anytime soon. But he won't play Championship, will he? Uh, it was. I mean, it was funny because he was one of the worst players at West, and they literally like, they went to a no offense, Brad, but they went to a bad team and said, "What have you got?" Yeah. And <laughs> when they, when we when they announced it, I was like, "Thank God for that," because he just he just come off one of. This this is quite bad to say. He'd just come off one of the best performances for ever he'd ever probably had for West. 
and he was still the worst player on the pitch. Like it's 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 one of them. Uh, there I is never... there is quite a few injury worries at Warrington. You look at that team, and there's not many one to thirteens. Um, Metaltia, Ashton, Ratchford, Williams, Clark, Curry, and Holmes are the only one to thirteens in that seventeen. So they have clearly got issues. But is it the fact that their issues are? Well, you say that they've re- they released Josh. Didn't they release Josh Charlie? They let Josh Charlie go. Josh Charlie go to be part a part time bricky and play for Lee. I think. Yeah. I think. Um, players have gone. They've obviously they we know they've just brought in Matt Dufty. Josh Maguire's coming in. Um, they let Cooper go to Wigan early. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Some of the players that they've sort of let go or brought in, and with Paul Vaughan coming in next year. Connor Wrench has just signed a new three three year deal with another young player. This is what it's this weird philosophy as well, isn't it? That Daryl Powell's saying that we're only gonna win games if I've got a team as quick as twenty seventeen calf. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what yeah. he that's his dream like, is to build yeah. But that twenty seventeen now as well. Yeah, that twenty I think that twenty seventeen calf side were were just caught in a sort of a, a bit of a lacklustre season. I don't think any of the teams in twenty seventeen were amazingly great and I kind we'd just come off the back of a World Cup. And oh, I think no, it was the year before the World Cup, wasn't it? It was the season before the World Cup that players we were just not great as a as a as a collective team, and we went into that World Cup not expecting much. The players and were outstanding, have, and then since then they've not really done much. And you have Zach Hardacre, who at that point, who at that point, you know, was trying to prove that he's one of the best English players, and I think yeah. I think we'd all agree that he is one of the he's been one of the best England players. It's just had off the pitch struggles. Yeah, 100%. Now, Luke Gale in the form of his life, um, which is quite funny because George Williams, if he found that kind of form, but I'm guessing he's not the same player. That, well, he's not the same player as Gale, is he? No. So it, it, I guess it's interesting where it's like he's trying, he's probably trying to, I think he's trying to use a mold the way, because he's openly said the reason I've signed Wardle yeah. and let Toby go. I really like Toby yeah, King. Yeah, I like Toby what, King. That, we, we spoke about that before, didn't we? That was a really weird swap deal. Both really like similar him. players, really like arguably Toby King's the better player, but obviously Jake Wardle's in the England squad and Toby King's gonna be, I think, captaining in Ireland in the World Cup. Or either yeah. him or his brother's gonna be in, in in the Ireland squad captaining in them. And it's weird because to me I'd pick King over Wardle in the England system, just because of the type of player he is, but maybe that's just the style of rugby you want to play. Um but yeah, it's interesting. It Powell is not gonna last long if they keep keep sort of doing this and maybe we come back in two weeks time and they're only two points off safety and we have the same sort of conversation again and is Powell still going to be in a job that that's probably a question we might have to speak about in the next seven or eight weeks do you, do you, Robin do you yeah. think Powell's at risk of of losing I do job? I do I mean he did he did some before he was at Cass he was at Featherstone and it was that period where they couldn't go up but they kept winning and like so that was obviously like his resume was fantastic at that point, mm. and then he came to Cass and quite quickly, like every year, he seemed to they got better. And um, there was quite a few seasons where Cass had like the best player of the year, and yeah. then like so it was like Rangi Chase, um, the winger who broke the record for the try, uh, Solomon was it? Yeah, Dennis Solomon. Yeah, and he he kept losing the best player of the year at the end of the year, and. Somehow replacing him, and then the stars aligned in 2017, and he 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 had a good team, and also they were all in the form of their lives, and he he hasn't actually backed up from 2017. He's no, he not delivered on anything. 
No. And actually, none of the teams that he's put forward have even looked like they could. Yeah. So, I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long he's got. I don't know like what what he can use to trade on now because I think I don't. I don't even think that 2017 cast team would do anything in this league now. I don't. Do you know what I mean? They weren't that yeah. good. Like you said, they got lucky. Um, yeah, and some of the decisions that he's made in the team, in the players that he's he's swapped, yeah, don't they? You know, it's not looking good for him. Yeah, you, I mean, you look at that Leeds Rhinos team in the final. I mean, Jack Walker, young fullback, uh, Tom Briscoe, Callum Watkins, a young Liam Sutcliffe, Ryan Hall. They had Joel Moon and Danny Maguire, not a, a makeshift halfback pairing. Uh, Brad Singleton and Mitch Garber at prop. Parcel at hooker. JJB and Stevie Ward, who we know is now retired. Adam Cuthbert sent loose forward, and then on the bench, Rob Burrow, Carl Ablett, Brett Ferris, and Anthony Mullally. That's not even the strongest Leeds Rhinos team they've ever ever put out, and arguably that was, their, that was probably their weakest team. Yeah, because that year for them I mean? was a rebuild. Yeah, that, that was a were, rebuild. It was year. not a year that they were expected to reach the grand final, let no. alone win it. Whereas Cass from round one were on fire. Yeah, and everyone blames Zach Hardick, but at the end of the day, the coach got to take some responsibility. Yeah. When your team doesn't turn up like that, I'd argue that that kind of season we saw though we saw the difference between well we saw the difference between Danny Maguire and Luke Gale in that final where you yeah. see a player who is who you give him something to win and he takes you there to win it. Yeah. Um. Even though Leeds didn't play great all season round, is that kind of the player they've got in George Williams right now? Where if you give him something to win, he'll win it for you. Yeah, maybe. But if, but week in week out. He's not going to go and absolutely walk the league. Um, maybe that you know, maybe it's that kind of thing where he's just he's played at a higher level and he knows he can do it. But I don't, I don't know. I think maybe the Canberra though, could he? Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is the thing is we saw this with like we saw him. He was he was good for England. Mm. And, like I think yeah. there's something like mentality wise going on with him. Yeah. Um, but think, yeah, I, honestly, I think it's Sean Wayne. I think that's what it that's where it's come from. Yeah. That, that Wigan side that was really successful is in his DNA. So I think I think that's a good point. But you've got to get to the final as well. And I don't think that. I mean, he got he's he's got two grand finals, hasn't he? Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't see. I don't. I think he's. I think George Williams is is kind of. I don't know. If I was George Williams, I wouldn't want to be playing under Daryl Powell, to be honest. No, it's yeah. not. He doesn't play the type of the the correct type of rugby. When George Williams went there last year, you can understand why he wanted to play and who he was playing under and the sort of rugby that Warrington were playing last season was his style of rugby. It's not the same this season. Um, we need to move on because we've already fifty minutes in and there's still loads to talk about. Um, League One, Toby, it's your forte. North Wales currently sits second. You've lost three games this season. Keith Lee, the only unbeaten team in the whole of professional rugby league. Um, but West Wales and Cornwall sit at the bottom. I mean, I'd like to apologise for Corn- to Cornwall this week because they've actually won a game since the last time we spoke, and West Wales sit bottom of bottom of the table on two points, one win of fifteen, and minus seven hundred and thirty-two. They've only scored a hundred and two points in fifteen games. Like, what's you know, going you- on? I think that what, like in, in general, what what is happening in League One? Like what 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 where where do you see is going right and wrong? In, in that's sort of what I'm asking. 
at the end of the next of end of 2025, I genuinely think you could write one of a best-selling storybook on the League One wooden spoon battle over the two, during like the first two decades of the, of the, of this millennium because it's just been fantastic um, from like the incarnation of Westworld Raiders onwards. It's just been the most wonderful thing. Maybe even going further back to when it was like Hemel Oxford and Gloucestershire Orgolds fighting for it. I mean, oh, we've had some beautiful, beautiful <laughs> times in the Wooden Spoon battle, I'm really? telling you. Anyway, um, yeah, no, this league, I mean, Keithy are absolutely smashing it. There's only um, four or six or five or six games, not four, four or six, mm. but five or six games left in the season for every um, team. Keith Lee are clearly going to get automatic promotion. Uh, I think then what you have, actually, is Wales, Swinton, Rochdale and Doncaster all vying for that yeah. promotion spot. Which is really interesting when you consider these are actually air- all areas that are a little bit underrepresented in the upper echelons of rugby league right now. You consider yeah. that we don't have any Manchester team outside of Salford. Uh, in the top two tiers, um, you know, obviously we don't have any Welsh representation. Mm. Um, we don't have um, that sort of Doncaster area. It's quite a big area for itself. So it's quite interesting, actually, um, you know, how that's sort of looking. Um, I, I wouldn't say there's any way of picking a winner of who goes up with them. Yeah. Um, Crusaders, I think, have shown in that opening winning run that they have the best personnel. But whether, but I think they're probably not the best coach team in yeah. out of that group there. Um, but I mean, I think Keithley. It's just, it's just considering how atrocious their kits are. Hmm. Just such a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing to, uh, for them to be completely unbeaten. Because that's so difficult in a part-time league where you get some weeks where your players are all laying bricks on a Sunday and can't, hmm. and you've got to put out half a team or yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 really weird to see because they are so much. They are clear, and I don't know if they were relegated. I believe were they relegated last season, and they've come. Are they going straight back up, or are they always League One? I can't remember. I think it was um, Oldham and Rochdale. Oldham, I think. Oldham, so Swinton sit third, just two points off North Wales, and then Oldham are seventh. So they've only won four games this year, and they they look like they could be heading towards the bottom, especially now that Scholars and Midlands are sort of winning games here and there as well. It, it, really, it's um, nice. It's I, nice to see a little bit more competition as the season's getting a bit sort of further in, isn't it? I do really. Uh, yeah, I really like um, the fact that Keith Lee are doing it in like the same way you get promoted from like non-league in football, where you bring in a bunch of thirty-eight-year-olds who have played at a much higher level, and they've got like Jake Webster um, still knocking about down there. They've got um, Ed Pettiborn down there. Yeah, and it's like I think they've got they've got Junior Sow as well, have they? Yeah, like, Junior Sow's down there. I mean, they've got a really, really strong team of Keithley this yeah, season. It's a proper fun team where it's going to keep growing. They've got Lewis. They've got Lewis Young down as well from Newcastle. Whew. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, they're just going to keep growing um, in some aspects, but they've also got the players in who are just who, no matter how long they play, are going to be better than League One standard. Yeah. So it's a really tiny way to build the team. Uh, they've got Scott Morrell as well. Anyway. Moro um, Goro's there. He's he's on form. I think he's the first rugby league player to score in more in 11 games in a row as well. So 
I don't really? think they're, they're not a bad side. They'll do if they can if they can keep this team together in the championship next season. Dane Chisholm's there as well. Like they're they're going to do a good job next year, aren't they? Absolutely. I think it's I think it's this blueprint here where you like you've got Crusaders have got a lot of players coming straight from an amateur background, whereas Keith have got a lot of players dropping down from a professional background. Yeah. And you've seen what happens with the two approaches, um, which is interestingly one where Crusaders can build up the, you know build up a team very very well but then you you miss out on professional experience when it comes to the games which decide whether you win the league or not yeah whereas and I think this is now a blueprint for, for getting out of league one but I guess you've got to have the contacts and you've got to have the money but this is you know if you want to do league one right I think this is the route you've got to take now isn't it yeah 100 percent yeah um moving on to the championship a little bit London Broncos, five wins now. Um, they looked like they were going to really struggle. Obviously, they got rid of Jermaine Coleman. Um, Mike Eccles is doing a really, really good job in terms of his interim role. They're now 11th, uh, two points clear of Whitehaven. Dewsbury and Workington are the two teams that look like they're going to potentially face the drop this season. Um, Workington more than likely gone down. They've only got one win out of 20. Are we still looking at teams like Newcastle and Sheffield to to really push on and and push their way up into the playoffs, or do you sort of think like Bradford, Sheffield, Newcastle, those eight teams in eighth, ninth, and tenth, is their seasons already over? Uh, I, I think there's I think there's still time. I mean, uh, I know at York we had a, a great unbeaten run, um, and then seemed to have just like dropped off the wagon, and that that's something that you see in the championship is. Teams will turn around the season. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's still time for a bit of a shake-up um, in in the middle. Definitely, I think I think realistically, um, the top five, the uh, top four, sorry, are the top four, mm. and you know the bottom two are the bottom two. But in between that, I think we will see a bit of movement. Yeah, Toby, you you look here. I don't know if you can see the table in front of you. Obviously, other than Lee on 38, Fed on 35, the teams in third to sixth who are going to play playoff eliminators, you've got Halifax on 28 points, Batley on 28 points, Barrow on 27, and York on 26. Do you see that Do you see that four changing much? Obviously, they might finish in different positions, but those four are going to be those four teams, aren't they, at the end of the season? Yeah, I still firmly believe that if the coaching was right in Bradford or Newcastle, that we'd have more of a challenge. Um, you could perhaps argue... Well, I know Witness were never properly equipped for it, to be fair, but you look what Witness might end up doing next season. Yeah. Um, so I think there's definitely teams there where it's frustrating to see them have to wait another season to push up. Yeah. Um, because I think... I, I do believe that we had we had nine teams in the race for... Um, to lose the Featherstone or Lee in the, you know, yeah. in a semi-final. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was only really London, Whitehaven, Dewsbury, Workington, possibly Sheffield, who we had confirmed as not being good. Yeah. Um. So it's there. There could be a very late change, but I think you know, I think the way momentum works in a season, I don't think anyone's going to turn anything around too quick. You know, now. Yeah. To make up that set. But I think it's frustrating as well because I think that if we had a better quality coaching, uh, we had more coaches of a better of the same 
quality, then we could have got to a place where we had this battle uh, a lot closer for these spots, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, I don't think I've got our table from when we predicted the championship, so I'm going to have to go back and look at it. Are we happy to see London pushing their way away from those bottom two spots? I mean, they were bottom of the table for... A, they were 14th after the first seven weeks with no wins, so are we, are we happy to see them fighting their way and staying up in, in that level? Yeah. Yes, no, for me. I mean, part of me wants to hate them because they've basically gone that they've they've started the road to abandoning rugby league in the capital, in many ways. Where they've started going, we're going to go part time. We're not going to sign the caliber of players we used to sign. We're going to be worse. We're going to be lower down. We're going to attract less fans to this lovely stadium we've just sat in the yeah. joint lease with, um, which is interesting, I guess. But yeah, it's. Uh, they they have they haven't they're taking away fans in the capital. They're stopping people paying attention to rugby league every week because they're not doing as well. Yeah. Um, which is a huge shame. And I think part of me wants to say like, oh, they should be punished for that. But I guess at least with their survival, this gives the chance for the appropriate parties to focus on rebuilding London, rugby league in London. Yeah. Um, because I think it's you know I don't think anyone. Uh, in the RFL or outside the RFL, believes that London being outside of the champion, outside the top of the championship, is good for the sport. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, it would have been really difficult to see the Broncos and the Scholars in the same division. Bear in mind, a lot of those players are dual reg. Uh, some of them clubs. I mean, players that Broncos signed this year: Neil Thorman, Adam Branos. They're now playing for Scholars because. Mike Eccles has come in and gone, you guys are not good enough. If we want to stay in this league, you need to go back and play in League One. Like, I don't want you at this club. Which, Jermaine came in and just signed all his friends. Like, he signed all his, he signed his mates that he thought were going to be good enough and played well for him at Scholars and they clearly weren't good enough. Um, and it was disappointing to see, but it's kind of, kind of nice to see London getting back on track on the field and maybe that will change some people's minds off the field. Um, right, NRL time. We need to be quick. Um... Queensland won State of Origin. I mean, I told you both it would happen. Neither of you believe me. Ben Hunt is the best halfback slash hooker slash beach sprinter in the world. Damian Cook can go and do one. Like, what was what was Cleary thinking at the last play of the game? What was he trying to do? Like, that, that feed my ego. Come on, was just amazing. <laughs> I, I, I remember the 2012-2013 uh, Cooper Conk hitting the drop goal to win yeah. the decider at Suncourt. Yeah. It was It's like that level of game. It was unreal. The way that um, Queensland just sort of like through sheer grit and determination went over the top of a New South Wales side that is star-studded and was really was the favourites for the series. Mm. I, I have a slight leaning towards the Blues because... I liked the underdogs and they were always the underdogs when we were growing up. But even I just sat back and smiled when I saw Ben Hunt catch that ball because they 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 just totally deserved it. And the way that they the way that they pulled together, um all through the injuries and it was a real intense game. It it was like I, I took the day off work to watch it and I'm so glad I did because it's gonna I'm I'm gonna have to get it. Uh, get a copy of the game because I'll watch that back when I'm feeling down just because it was that good. Yeah, you got to get yourself on watch NRL and you think you just watch back all the games from the, all the seasons. So, uh, Toby, I know you said you loved watching game two, but 
please tell me you were disappointed with the result of game three. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I am the same as Robin where I've grown up in Queensland domination, so lean towards the Blues. Um, but it's always just a pleasure to watch State of Origin. I think with Billy Slater being the coach, Queensland are a lot more top tolerable now. Yeah. Um, and there's something yeah. well, there was interesting sort of talk, isn't there? That whole like, oh, what what do you think a Billy Slater team's going to do? He's going to do the exact same things that Craig Bellamy did, which no one's ever managed to figure out what they are. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, it's that he's he's going to win rock battles that you've never and you, you don't know how you're going how you're losing them. You know, he's going to play with grit, and I think there's something to be said about Ben Hunt here, isn't there? Where maybe it's Maybe it's when you pay him a million and play him at half back and don't put and, and make him the centre focus. Maybe it's not quite working. But there's something to be said for Ben Hunt in terms of the conversation for the best player in the world when it comes to No, no, but when it comes to like yeah. what he could do in the Australia team at the World Cup. Oh yeah. What he could do in the state of origin team, you've almost I've almost got this feeling like he has to be the number one hooker for Australia. Ooh, big call. Off the back of this. Yeah, uh, of of this game, I would I would totally yeah. agree. In general, he's been a standout for. He, he's been a standout hooker in this series. Yeah. Um, and again, it's that thing where you say you look at what he's like when the whole team around him is high quality. Yeah. You don't, you know, he does. I think that's something that's just intangible. You can't explain why it's that way, mm. but. There's something I think he's been really impressive in the game too. I think he's one of the most impressive players for yeah. Queensland. So there's something to be said. I think there really is something to be said about Ben Hunt's future. The other player who gets a lot for audits from this is Pat Carrigan. Oh yeah, really, really I, good. I did Pat Carrigan at the Broncos and <laughs> well until Kev Walters is it Kev Walters? Yeah. Until Kev Walters had turned him round at at the Broncos, he was a player who was like. He, he he made a lot of yards, but none of them were ever significant. Yeah. He never he never made yards where he put a defender on their back, or he never made yards dotting you know and dominated a tackle type thing. But it was always but he was always sort of secretly creeping up the numbers, which is sort of what's in his place here. Mm. But now like they've gone to him no, like be a machine. Um and yeah, there's that kind of that's kind of what comes through with Queensland is that players representing Queensland, it's almost like there's just a better togetherness there, whereas New South Wales feels like an all-stars team. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and no, I totally agree with you. Um, In a more positive light, well, I say more positive light, positive light for every other club in the NRL. Um, West Tigers lost again at the weekend and now cannot finish higher than ninth. Um, they are last in the NRL table. Um, but it sort of came on the back of a little bit of a, a well, a little bit of an error, a huge error. Uh, from the bunker. Um, for those of you who didn't see it, um, the Tigers were up 25-18 with six minutes to go. Um, and oh, They were trailing 25-18 with six minutes to go where Brentley and Stafford Toa scored uh, and they were, they were up by a point. Um, but they, apparently they conceded a penalty after the Cowboys kicked off with one second on the clock when uh, Kapoa judged to have taken out Kyle Felt in, uh, in the air. Minimal contact, but the Cowboys winner ended up on the turf, and Townsend opted to use a captain's challenge. Uh, the referee, Chris Butler, referred the decision to the bunker, with Ashley Klein awarding the Cowboys a penalty, which Valentine Holmes 
converted. Well done to him. Great kicker. He did it all during State of Origin, so I don't hate him that much. Um, but the, apparently the rule is, escort or not, you literally cannot challenge something that hasn't been called. Otherwise, players could challenge every play the ball. Something the NRL have been adamant all season done, all season cannot be done. Worst call of the year. Uh, Zach Bailey, another NRL uh, journalist, has said terrible, terrible decision. Uh, New Scops David Riccio said embarrassing decision. Uh, and Mark Guy, I just got home from dinner and caught up with the Cowboys versus Tigers last second drama. I've got to say that's the worst decision I've ever seen. How do you get that wrong? Um, are Tigers fans and NRL fans allowed to be mad at the bunker and should should they have a look at how the bunker is run as, as of like immediately because of that i mean i didn't see the incident so i can't really complain but all i saw was the was the uproar about the incident yeah i i think w one thing that's important to remember is when whenever these things happen like referees will make mistakes and if you leave it up to the last play of the game to decide your game you you place the fate of your you place your fate in the hands of people who commit mistakes. Mm. And so the West if the West Tigers were good enough, they would have won that game without needing a referee's call to decide it for them. So they, so yeah, it's frustrating, but like try and try. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, can't no, come. So and the other thing I would say is, in my opinion, the the captain's challenge is crap. I hate it. I think it encourages criticism of the referees. It puts them under an even more scrutiny because they're actually proven wrong. I think it sets um, a precedent for the lower levels of the sport where we don't have access to the bunker, where players see professionals criticising the referee and getting a decision overturned, and so they're going to criticise the, their referee even more so. Yeah. So I, I think really this is the NRL should look at this and say this is this is our fault. We've allowed the captain's challenge to be a thing in our game. It was only like gonna it was gonna go wrong eventually. Yeah. I, I think they should get rid of it. I think the referee's decision should be final. He's gonna make mistakes and so does everybody in the whole world. So yeah. um yeah, the, it was a particularly bad one, but I don't think that the solution is ref bashing or having to go to the bunker I think it's I think they just need to they have allowed an opportunity for this to happen by making the captain's challenge I like the captain's challenge though because I think we are in a sport where the refs it's it's obviously a sport thing because in Australia and in England the refs get it wrong a lot the issue I have I guess is when you get those 50-50 calls of whether it's been stripped or dropped yeah you know, you send it to a bunker and then it becomes the bunker, you know, it becomes then the individual opinion. So I think there's some things where it's not called for, but at the same time, like, it's, you know, it, the amount of times that refs have ruined games is, is more in rugby league than any other sport, I'd say. Yeah. You know, and that's probably just the nature of how we ref it. But anyway, um, in terms of the bunk, I mean, that's interesting. I remember someone I saw recently, there was another controversial thing and it was that whole, like, the ref's decision before it goes to the bunker um, needs to be looked at. Yeah. And then I was laughing at that because it's like, well, what if there's a big load of bodies around the ball and you can't look out if it's down or not? Then yeah. do you call it, then just rock, paper, scissors for whether it's a try or not? <laughs> like, the ref's got to make a call on it. Um, so I think 
that it is weird. Like there needs to be there needs to be a way to hold refs to account. I think, and I think we've seen it, haven't we? I think we've had a standing down. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, these guys they they're watching a game that's played at like ridiculous speeds, and saying holding them to account, it's like they're not they're not doing it on purpose. Do you know what I mean? Hanging the weight of added pressure isn't really gonna mean that they're going to be more likely to make the right decision they're always going to do what they believe is the right decision i think that i think we need to actually protect the referees and i think the only person that should be allowed for the bunker is the referee it should be like a tool that only they can use if they're not sure then they are allowed to use the bunker the bunker doesn't doesn't get to override them players don't get to make them question their own decisions yeah I, until we get to a point where technology can referee a game for us in, in completely referee a game for us by, do you know what I mean, scanning the ball to see if it goes forward, yeah. watching every single player live, it's, there's a human element. And part of that, that's sport and that's life. I think we should, I think we should protect the referees. And I hate that the, the media makes this into such a big deal just because it drives clicks, because it's actually really bad for our sport. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's that's a very fair opinion to have. Like I said, I didn't see the incident, but I just wanted to see what your opinion was of the the backlash that that Klein's got. I mean, he's been dropped this weekend because he had, he did make the error of having of using the captain's challenge in the wrong situation, and the fact that the NRL have said, "Look, you got it wrong. You got the you got the ruling wrong. You shouldn't have been able to use the captain's challenge at that point in time," means that Klein has been punished for his error, but also, like you said, the West Warriors should have won that game if they were good enough to win that game they would have won that game without having to worry about any incident in the last minute of the game um quickly before we do the set of six um four nrl players that played well three that played origin i believe and then one a player we thought would be playing for england this year uh, have announced their intentions of who they want to play for who they have, have made themselves available for selection for for the world cup um We'll start with um, Brian Toto. He has confirmed he wants to play for Samoa during the World Cup. I think that was very, very obvious. Him and Jerome Luai, a lot of them Penrith lads, um, Stephen Crichton, another one who I think have stepped forward and said, look, I want to play for Samoa or I want to play for Tonga, which is massive for them. Uh, Dom Young, just after the announcement of Jermaine McGilvray retiring from International Rugby League, Dom Young announced that he wanted to play for Jamaica at the World Cup. That opens up them wing spots that we discussed so valiantly because we thought it was either one or both of them in the squad with another winger and with them two now out of contention for the England squad there's some serious spaces up for grabs I mean we could even see Greg Greg, Greg Eden put on an England shirt uh, in the winter um, Felice Kalfusi has been, said he wants to play for Tonga um, he's, been, he's been a mainstay in the Australian team for a long long time and arguably he was one of the first names on the team sheet especially in the back row for Australia and my favourite and one that I'm finally glad has come true, uh, Victor Radley will be playing loose forward for England at the World Cup. Do we think either of any of those four come as a bit of a surprise? I mean, to, for me, Dom Young's one is, is one that stands out for me a little bit because I think he was a shoe-in for England. I think I think what he's done is he's, he's moved himself from a potential World Cup player to a definite World Cup player. And at this stage in his career... And, you know, he's probably got his other motivations as well. If yeah. he's got family that he wants to represent. I, I think it's a real smart move for him. And I think it's good for, for the competition as a whole. So, I, despite the fact that he won't be playing for 
my nation, I'm happy to see that that he's he's playing for Jamaica. And I think it's it's a smart move. I think everyone's a winner, really. Yeah, uh, Toby, does any of the any of those stand out, or maybe for you, you're probably looking at the fact that a certain player, which we mentioned earlier, Regan Grace, won't be playing for Wales at the World Cup because of his move to rugby union. Is, is that is that something that's more important for you as a Welsh fan, or as a, I mean, as a Welshman? The fan was Kafusi's move. Kafusi's always been one of those Mr. Australia's. Mm. There must be real problems with the Australian rugby league at the moment to, to make him move. Um, Regan Grace, I'm going to miss tremendously, but I understand. I mean, Christian Wolf hasn't treated him as well as Holbrook did. Uh, he's a very talented lad, and you know, he's a proper Welsh boy as well. You know, he has got a chance to play on the wing in front of 80,000 in the Principality Stadium. Um, for Wales Rugby Union, and I think you've got to take that when you're a South Walian yeah. um, So I don't blame him at all. Uh, I hope he does really well. I'll follow his career. Um, but yeah, it's just he's like he was. He's an absolute Welsh boy through and through. Yeah. Which I guess it's that like he's like this is what we could have across the pitch, and then to sort of lose that, I guess is is a little bit disappointing. But I I, I like I think you know I think. It's uh, he'll do. He'll still have a really good career in rugby, and he'll probably come back because they often do. Yeah, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see. I mean, good luck to him, and fingers crossed for him. His career pans out the way he wants it to, um, because he's because of the way he's come through the system and the way he's been signed into rugby union. It doesn't matter who he plays for; he can play for Wales because he he isn't he isn't one of them Welsh contractor players, which is really good to see. Um, we need to move on before we do set of six, Robin. Jackson Hastings is playing loose forward for West Tigers this week, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> um, um, no, set of six. We'll start. We'll start with this Manly team against Sydney. Very, really close in the table, but obviously seven quite good players, quite strong squad players out for them. Uh, James Seguiaro looking to become in, come back into the NRL. For me, I think this is quite obvious. I think Sydney are going to blow them out of the water with the players that the Sea Eagles have got missing. Yeah, I mean, unless, unless I mean, if this Hadler had come out and been really critical of those players that were missing, I'd be like, oh, he can, like, spark a good enough reason for that team to, like, play out of their skin. But the fact, the way that they've handled it all tells me that they've already written this week off. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I mean, they've kept us fine. Trent Robinson might feel sorry for, um, you know, Manly for having to go through such a torrid time and let them have the <laughs> great anyway. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll back Manly here, just for like you know the good <laughs> good grace. Yeah. Decision. Um, I should say that uh, Robin is on sixty five points. I'm on sixty four, and Toby, you're on fifty eight. So you, the season's you, gone. Yeah, the season, the season is gone for you. I think. Podcast um... <laughs> next year. <laughs> um, next up. Toby's like West, the highest he can finish is ninth. <laughs> He's missed the playoffs. <laughs> it, was the, it was the bunker, the fifth bunker. There's only, there's only three teams in this and Toby can only finish ninth. That's how bad the season's <laughs> been. Um, uh, next up, we got Huddersfield Giants against Warrington. Like we said, Warrington lose their next two games. Toulouse and Wakefield win at least one each. That gets really tight at the bottom. Um, it's at the John Smith Stadium as well. I'm going to back the West Yorkshire boys here. I really want the Giants to go out there and whoop Warrington and show them that their season is in danger of finishing really badly. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I actually agree. I, I want Huddersfield to win. I think they can win, and they're at home. So why, why wouldn't I? <laughs> uh, Toby, you yeah, know, you go on, go on, shock us and pick Warrington. Oh no, no, I hope Toby <laughs> thinks fifteen past Al Powell and he regrets his decision. So yeah, 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 no. yeah it's going to be really interesting. Um, next up, Championship uh, Summer Bash weekend this weekend. So loads of big games. One of them. I'm... Pardon? Headingly. At Headingly, yeah. yeah. Uh, Summer Bash at Headingly. Um, London Broncos versus Sheffield. Two teams. Uh, we mentioned them earlier. 10th and 11th in the table. This is this is really crucial for London to really just make sure that the relegation fears are, are not... are over, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that I reckon there could be some... Um... So a bit of movement in that middle table, I think, uh, this year. My, I obviously I love Sheffield. Um, I think it would be better for for the sport if London won. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with my heart. I'm gonna have to go uh, with Sheffield. Uh, Toby, where are you going on this one? I'll take London as a chance to catch up points. Uh, I think with the way London played against Bradford the other week and the way that they've sort of stepped up and performed. I'm going to have to go for London as well. I know technically it's a home game, but with everyone being at the Summer Bash, it's nice to see the teams that the teams that don't always win usually step up and play a little bit better. Um, next up, top of the table clash. It's a chance for Fev to close the gap a little bit to just a one point um, as they welcome Lee. Obviously, they well, they say they're welcome. They've got to go and play Lee um, at Headingley. Do, do we think Lee will run away with the league title or a Fev sort of on a roll now? Yeah, Lee just haven't stopped signing players. You know, every time Fev got on a roll, oh, we'll have Josh Charney then, don't mind us. Mm. I think they signed someone else recently as well, haven't they, from the NRL? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're ridiculous at the moment, Lee, and I can't wait to watch them get relegated next season. <laughs> they are. It's the Fulham and Norwich mate, thing, mate, isn't it? Be if, careful. If, Warrington got... go, if Warrington go down, Lee will stay up next year. Heard it here first. Um, <laughs> but no, I think, yeah. I, think, I think Lee will win this game comfortably as well. Yeah, Leo, like, the points that they're scoring every single week is, um, it's actually, they're making a bit of a mockery of this competition. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I think I think Lee are the real deal, and I think that they're ready for this. Yeah, um, next game, game number five, it's a chance for Cornwall to get another two points on the board as they travel down to London. Do the Scholars pick up win number four or do Cornwall look at jumping further away from West Wales at the bottom of the table? I mean, they won the last time we put them in a predictions and we all went against them. Are we all going to go against them again or are we going to back them to maybe win? They just lost 44-10 to Swinton. So it's a tough one because I feel like they can, they have got the power to do it. But now that Malali's retired and won't be in, around their squad anymore, I just feel like maybe the Scholars... I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a London double this week. I think both London teams are gonna win. Yeah, I'm taking scholars as well. Um, they've actually not been awful since they've got their first one year season. Um, so uh, you know I think that there's no reason to back Cornwall unless they play on West Wales, and even then they've proven this season that's an impossible game to predict. Yeah. So yeah, give me London. Yeah, me too. I think Cornwall. They, they've let me down before, but if I'm playing the long game, you, you can't pick them every... You know, you should pick them to lose every time because 
they're going to lose more than they're going to win. So, yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, next up, we've got Cronulla versus South Sydney. The Sharks third in the table on 26 points. The Rabbitohs sixth on 24. There's not a lot of difference between the Cowboys in second and the Paramount Aerials in seventh. The top, the eight, spot number eight looks like it could be going to Sydney, but that's really tight below the Panthers at the moment. I, I really like this this Sharks team. Um, I think, like, we see, like, the, the NRL's quite, like, circular where these teams sort of rise up, do well, fall back down, rise up, do well. Apart from, obviously, West, who are always crap. <laughs> but, and I feel like Souths are kind of on this sort of downward trajectory now, whereas... The sharks are rising through, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back the sharks. Yeah, can't knock what it means to have Latrell Mitchell back um, for the bunnies. Um, what I've really liked about this season is Matt Moylan's Korean resurgence. Um, just like in terms of you know, I've really, I've, I like Matt Moylan back when he was a fullback at Penrith, and then it's quite sad seeing him move to five eight, struggle a bit there, get injured, struggle. So it's nice to see him back. Um, I think it's, I'm going to use it as a chance to try and pick up points. I'm going to take Latrell Mitchell uh, and the Rabbitohs, but like I, you know, I'm happily accepting the loss on that because it is a really well put together Sharks team. I think Dale Finucane was just what the, and Camakins was just what they needed to have a solid path to playoff. Um, and yeah, so they have been a pleasure to watch this season. Um, but I'm going to take Rabbitohs just for points. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh... You say you're going to pick the Souths for points. I think you're going to, I'm going to pick Souths to win the game. Montreal Mitchell's come back. He stood back and said, look, I don't want to play State of Origin. I think Matt Burton's deserved a spot. He took the pressure off him. He didn't go out there and go, I want to play Origin. I want to be. I want to win. try and win the series. He focused on South Sydney. And I think the fact that he's chosen Souths over Origin showed the rest of that Souths team what type of person he's becoming. And he really wants to put that team before anything else. The fact that he's back in there, all the State of Origin lads will be back in that team, even the lads that lost, but that's such a strong South team now. Yes, the Sharks are really, really good, but there's only, like I said, there's only there's only one win between uh, second, there's only two wins between second and seventh, so that's, it's tight at the top, and I think that's the reason I'm going to go for South this week, is, is, that, is that very, very reason indeed. Um, that's the end of episode 15. Like we said at the start, 10 more episodes over the next 18 weeks. We've got seven, I think, seven league fixtures in Super League, League One and Championship left to go. Um, I think it's the same for the NRL. And then the World Cup starts again, uh, starts again in October. Starts again? Starts in October. Um, Super League Grand Final is the 24th of September. So we'll make sure that over the next 18 weeks, we're bringing you content regularly. And it's not going to be as jam-packed as this episode was. And we'll be able to talk a little bit more in depth about everything that's going on. So I've been Brad, that's been Robin, that's been Toby. This has been the Biff Rugby League Podcast brought to you by Swinging Arms and Shoulder Charges. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you very much. Have a great evening.